Welcome to Fallout Off The Record, brought to you by Quest Gaming Network. And sponsored in part by... The Ultralux, the pinnacle of New Vegas refinement in class. And now, on to our show. Hey everyone, and welcome to Fallout episode 34 with special guest author Nick Cole. How's everyone doing tonight? And I cannot figure out why Shaleen is not showing up. And I spent all that time <laughs> doing makeup and everything. I could have there been we are. instead. Founder. Anyway, thank you all for coming out tonight and, and, and enduring or enjoying or whatever you do with our show. Let's get a few of our spots. Let's get a few. Let's get a few of our sponsors out of the way, shall we? Tonight we are sponsored by TweakedAudio.com. If you are looking for earbuds or anything audio-wise to stick in your ears or on your ears to listen to music and talking, especially me and Chalene, in a very, very rich tone, and you can hear every little nuance, go to TweakedAudio.com right now for your earbud or headphone needs. If you enter our code off the record, which is all one word, at checkout, you'll receive 30% off and free world free worldwide shipping so go to tweakedaudio.com and enter our code off the record at checkout we're also sponsored by audible.com which is your number one source for all audiobooks if you head to audibletrial.com slash network for their free th- and sign up for their free 30-day trial you'll get a free audiobook of your choosing and tonight shalene and i recommend uh the end of the world as we knew it by author Nick Cole, who happens to be our guest tonight. So head to tweaked, uh, yeah, tweaked. Head to audibletrial.com slash network and sign up for uh, the free trial there. You can also become a patron of our show by going to patreon.com slash network and signing up for one of the myriad of reward systems there. So yeah, also one-time donations to uh, network.com um, by our PayPal link there. That helps as well and sharing us on social media which is even better so share us on your facebook your twitter send us emails um like and subscribe to this video and tell all your friends about us tonight we have news gameplay and our off and our special guest author nick cole which we've talked about before on a past episode i'm currently reading one of his books and Shaleen has been uh reading a few of his books as well so we have some news for you guys tonight. It hasn't been as uh, eventful as other weeks, but let's go ahead and get into the news. If you like news, you're going to love our next segment. What happened in the world of Fallout this week, Shaleen? Well, Rick, we finally hit that new slowdown we've been <laughs> expecting. There was not much new information out this week. We do have one item, though, and it is kind of a big one. There was a major Fallout Shelter update this week. Uh, it's kind of a game changer for that game. Uh, I'll just, I copied the whole thing here so I could read it to you. Let's Turn worthless junk into useful items. Introducing crafting. New rooms. Build the new weapon and armor crafting rooms and use them to create your own items in-game. Lunchboxes now contain a bonus fifth card. Junk! Trust us, it's more useful than it sounds. <laughs> Lucky Wasteland explorers may also find junk on their adventures. Take the overseer role to the next level, build the new barber shop, and customize the look of any dweller. Keep up with the latest fashions. Find new outfits and weapons straight from Fallout 4 in lunchboxes, or craft them yourself. Because four-legged companions bring overwhelming happiness, we've added new dogs and cats, and are introducing parrots! 
plus new pet bonuses. Time of day is now properly reflected because authentic vault simulation is our number one goal. And I, I downloaded the update. I've played it a bit. I haven't had a ton of time for Fallout Shelter, but I built the new rooms and it is very cool. The the dweller customization in the barber shop is a lot more detailed than I expected it to be. Mm. You can actually change their facial features and stuff as well. Oh. You can give them like Raider war paint and, and pretty blush and stuff. It's pretty rad. And uh, the junk is fun. There's giddy up buttercups and, you know, random things like that, that you could find the, the skeins of yarn. And uh, the, it's pretty cool. The what? Skeins of yarn. Skeins of yarn? Yeah, that's that's what you call a, like a spool of yarn. It sounds like yeah. you're describing a people group from long ago. The skeins of yarn <laughs> existed at one time. Um, sorry. So, uh, anyway. One thing that really gets me is that Fallout Shelter and Fallout 4 have kind of paralleling, been paralleling each other pretty well um, in their features and, and different bits of the gameplay in both of them. So the fact that they added parrots, <laughs> it's very strange. You think we're going to get parrots in Fallout 4? That'd be rad. It'd be really fun because then you can have them on your shoulder. Will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like a Maybe hawk Maybe there'll be companion? parrots in Far Harbor, because presumably you need to take a ship to get to Far Harbor, because there's a, a big ship in the, uh, in the, in the picture. So maybe you'll meet, like, a guy with a pi- parrot? Like maybe, a pirate? Maybe you'll be a, a pirate, a pirate on his shoulder. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you'll get, like, an eagle to hunt with, you know? Ah, uh, that would be cool. How cool would that be? Like an eagle on your shoulder. And I'm not talking about a P-51 Mustang. I'm actually talking about... Oh, that's an angel on our shoulder. But, um, yeah, like an eagle. You're like, go get him! And that'd be pretty <laughs> <rude>. Um, <laughs> Anyway. Wow. <laughs> so, anyways, this, this new update is very cool. And um, I look forward to getting a little more into it. I have had some, uh, some people tweeting at us about it... Uh, basically break in the game. They're having a lot of more crashing issues. Some other people said it fixed their crashing issues. Um, so I recommend that if anybody is having issues, go ahead and check out the Bethesda support forum for that. Okay. Report it. Um, all right. So uh, they were asking me to up the volume in the chat room. Sorry, it's in a different screen. I just had to look over there. I'm trying to pay attention to Shaleen so nobody yells at me for ignoring her. That's okay. I wouldn't pay attention to me either. Hopefully this helps. I turned I turned it up a little bit. Anyway, so um, was that it for the? That's it for the news. That's it for the news. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just gonna directly lead us right into our gameplay of the week. This week for me was a little bit on the lax side. I've been pretty busy, but I have played some Fallout. Um. I decided to run with my Nancy tune again, and because it's been fun, role-playing is that kind of mean person, I guess you could say, and teaming up with the Brotherhood to do things. So I finally made it into the Institute and did some stuff in there and got out and was like, sweet, now is the time for me to build up my army. You know what I mean? I'm going to build up my army, build up the settlements, and like take over. And then it kind of hit me. Of all the hours that I sunk in on my first and second playthroughs of building up settlements and building, rebuilding the walls of the castle 
and all that stuff. And I just kind of was like, Ugh, like, do I really want to spend another hundred hours doing the same thing that I just did before? And the answer came back to me in a resounding no. So I shelved my Nancy tune and went back to my second playthrough, who is he's kind of been my completionist kind of playthrough, I guess you could say, in the sense that that's the one I'm doing the settlements with, um, the one that I'm finding all the bobbleheads and that sort of thing. And I think that's where I'm going to stay for a while, just with everything that I've been doing and other games I'm playing. I think I'm going to stick with just one character. Normally, I'm a big role player. You know, from the past episodes, I've role played with James Bond and psychos and that sort of thing. But I think yeah, you're I'm just... kind of an alcoholic. Yes, yes. No, you're absolutely right. I think this game, I had the same problem I did with Skyrim at first. I built, you know, a uh, sneak me- melee character. Or, like, of course, melee. But I built a sneak character. In, in Skyrim, and then I'm like, I want to do big weapons, and then I built a new character, and it was kind of, it didn't really dawn on me that I could just, like, do the thing with the with the one character anyway. So I think I'm just going to stick with the one character who is Jack and continue to do that. So I did. I decided to explore Boston, Greater Boston, the Fens, um, that sort of area, and look for the unmarked buildings, because every time I'm in the city... I'm doing a quest or something. I'm like, oh, there's an unmarked door I could go into or there's an unmarked cool thing. I should come back here and check all these out. So I decided to do that and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> when I like meant, went back into the city with the purpose of finding these unmarked buildings, I couldn't find a single one. So I found a few and, and explored that, um, explored those for a while. And I found, and I forget the name of it, but it's the Fens Sewer. Maybe Fen Street you, Sewer. The Fen Street Sewer, where you find the hollow tapes of the Fen Phantom. Uh, which, if you haven't been to that place yet, it is super creepy. Um, the imagination... Whoever built that dungeon has watched, like, too much Saw. <laughs> like, <laughs> the dungeon and the way that they have the skeletons placed that you can tell how they were killed. Yeah. Uh just super creepy. I, I was expecting some, like, I want to know what happened to the detective in that little story. Like, I want to know what happened to the Fen Phantom. If Who won? Um, did you go on murdering? That well, sort of thing. Didn't you find the last holotape? Uh, I found the one. Well, how many of them were there? I found four. There were three or four. I don't remember. But the, the detective lost. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I, I oh, guess yeah. I didn't. I guess I didn't find that. There's a hollow tape where the Fen Street Phantom is like, "Now we're here together." Oh yeah. We have all the time in the world. Oh, see, I did oh. find that one, but it it, it didn't it didn't Pearl's click. Mustache. <laughs> see, I don't picture him with a mustache. I picture him being more like a normal looking guy. Because how else could he get around? You know, yeah. killing all these people. Um, I I didn't get the fact that the detective lost on that, but I did find all the hollow tapes for that. It's it's a really really creepy area. If you can find it, do it. It's it it's pretty rad. Um, I also decided that I'm actually going to consolidate my settlements, abandon a few because right now I've got pretty much everyone sporadically placed, like two here, two there. Um, I stopped because one of our wonderful chat room guys is. Uh, Said that he could picture the Fen Phantom with sideburns, which that's I what to... I was silently cracking up to over here. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for that, Captain Dumak. <clears throat> anyway, our unofficial third host. <laughs> yeah, with a comment like that, you're staying unofficial. Anyway, 
coffee. Um, so basically, I'm gonna con- I'm gonna consolidate all of the sporadic, you know, settler three here, two settlers there in this settlement, and and pull them all together into a couple settlements strategically placed with artillery, so I can actually have full coverage of the area. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna spend tonight after the show doing that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much been my gameplay. It's all I could really get in. What did you do this week? Well, I did lots of stuff, Rick. I've been playing Fallout 4 pretty obsessively, uh, trying to get ready for the DLC. Uh, so I, I'm going to talk about I got my main character ready, by which I mean I, I went ahead and cleared out all the uh, all the quests I had and uh, did some some magazine collecting and stuff, you know, got all my perks that I wanted to have. Um, let's start off talking about my challenge playthrough. I ran through our gameplay challenge, <laughs> which was not as challenging as I thought it would be. <laughs> not at all. And I, uh, I found a rolling pin. I, the day that we put out the challenge, I actually, that night I was playing Fallout and my first legendary drop was an assassin's rolling pin. And I was like, that's handy. <laughs> Yeah. So I took it and I modded it out and I named it Chameleonaire because they see me rolling. They hating. And wow. uh, I went ahead and did the challenge and it was not very hard. I haven't invested any points into melee on my character. I've been strictly guns. And uh, she was just one-shotting these raiders, just knocking their heads off. It was just not very challenging. So I felt uh, felt kind of bad. I did find a new area in Corvega. I've run the Corvega factory like a million times. And I found this little like raider living room in there on the ground floor, which was pretty entertaining. <laughs> I went to Libertalia because that was the last magazine that I hadn't found. And I ended up going to the internet, uh, consulting the Oracle, as it were, <laughs> and finding where is this last stupid magazine. And it was on Libertalia. Oh, which of course is the the Raider flotilla, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, I planned out this big assault, and I was going to go hit Libertalia, and I ended up just like swimming up to it and just like sprinting up through the ships, and then when I didn't even fight, I just bailed off the side and <laughs> swam away, <laughs> just jumped off the top of it, and it was really funny. I. I <laughs> I was like, I don't have times like peace. <laughs> like, could you imagine those raiders? Like, they're like, get him out! And then all of a sudden, they just like, he grabs a magazine and you just dive off the side <laughs> of the ship. That was exactly how it went. It was very silly. Uh, have you been to Don Bosco Technical School? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. That was pretty crazy. Um... I went through that, and did you did you get the impression that Bosco was actually a werewolf? Well, um, there's a raider boss down there named Bosco. Yeah, and there were some some hollow tapes and some notes about him. I thought that he just went a little. So was he just crazy? I thought he just went crazy because that... of the mascot head. Okay, so they have the mascot head, and then they have, like, the Skyrim bear on the side. Yes, they and the do. the conspiracy theorist in me decided that there was the Skyrim connection there, and uh, maybe Bosco was actually a werewolf because there are werewolves. Descendant? There. Because 
Earth and Nern exist in the same space is basically what you're saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, maybe not so much. But anyways, <laughs> in my head, Bosco's totally a werewolf. <laughs> so the chat room's asking about Deacon, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about that. I had forgotten to put that into the notes. So I... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I played through all the alternate endings for the achievements... I rolled back to an old save file, and I was doing my railroad ending, and I get to the last mission, and I have, and I'm not spoiling anything, by the way. This is just a funny glitch story, so don't don't feel scared if you're still scared of spoilers. And I had uh, Deacon with me, of course, as the, the railroad companion, and uh, I turned to look at Deacon, and he's just, like, lying on his face on the floor, just, like, planking. <laughs> Yes. It was so strange. And I'm like, Deacon, this is weird. So I reload the save. There's still Deacon on the floor. <laughs> I try fast traveling. He's still doing it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess he's just stuck this way. But, you know, since I just need to finish this one more quest, I'm just going to finish the quest. I don't need him. You know, it'll be fine. So I'm walking around and Deacon just like slithers along <laughs> on And he's still talking like normal, right? I go into a fight and Deacon's prone on his face back there. And he's like, he's like, I should get a battle cry. (laughs) (laughs) What does he say? Like, um, you dead bastard something. I don't know. But he's saying all his same combat barks and he's just skimming along behind me. And he also, you know, Deacon's thing is that he changes clothes a lot, right? He kept doing that, Rick. I would turn around and he would be on his face in a different outfit. (laughs) And I could talk to him. I could interact with him and be like, hey, Deacon, what are your thoughts? Or, hey, Deacon, how we doing? And he has the conversation. (laughs) And you can see his lips move. It was so funny. And then finally, at the very end... We finish the mission, and me and the railroad are standing there looking cool, and he gives me this really heartfelt speech, you know, and he's like, hey, you know, you're so cool, and we're buds, and, you know, everything is awesome. And <laughs> he says, now let's go kick some ass, and does this, like, spinny thing? <laughs> it was the funniest glitch ever. I have a clip of that, and I will post it from the show Twitter account if you would like to see it. How is every? I have never had a glitch anything near that at all. It was amazing. Man. It was so good. Uh, somebody is- mentioned a McCready glitch like that. I had McCready with another glitch where he was stuck uh, with his hands up. <laughs> he was, his feet were like a foot above the air, and he was just like he was just in a state of falling. <laughs> It was really odd. <laughs> but anyways, that was that was my Deacon story. Let me see. Um, I have one last thing that I will mention, and I'll save the rest for next time. Um, I got Strong's full friendship, and Whoa. that was real hard. Nice. It was real hard. That was one of the things. I wanted to get all the companion perks and everything to be ready for the DLC. Mm-hmm. And it was real hard getting Strong's friendship up. So I have some tips for you guys. He hates lock picking, so just prepare to not pick a lock while you're with Strong. Just don't do it. Just ignore all the locked doors. Uh, he doesn't mind, though, if you uh, 
if you hack terminals. He likes Preston Garvey, so do Preston's quests. Hmm. Uh, he likes that when you do the Minutemen quests. And he also likes it when you choose the right dialogue option. Direction uh, or correct? Rude, you know, the one that's mean. Okay. The, the right as in direction. The, the one that would be the B button if you're playing on Xbox Circle on PS4. Um, and so, yeah, he likes it when you accept the Minutemen quest and then when you are a jerk to the people. <laughs> you, and uh, that got it. Yeah. And also he likes cannibalism. But I, uh, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go there. So. <laughs> yeah, you t- you are too nice for that. Um, yeah. Somebody said real quick in the in the chat room that they had <laughs> they had a glitch where their magazines kept falling out of the magazine rack, mm-hmm. and my mind shot back to Family Guy with the dead toad, and he's trying to throw it out the window with the shoebox lid. Did you see it? No. Am I the only one? The frog kept falling off the shoebox lid. Anyway, that's what my head went to. Those of you that get it will laugh with me and will enjoy this little moment. Anyway, we had a chat. Does that wrap up your gameplay, Shalene? Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> Let's do. Um, we were getting yelled at last week for not having the gameplay challenge end in a new one. So that's this week, like we said. Um, so last week's challenge was to clear out the Corvega factory with a rolling pin, as it were. And we have screenshots from a bunch of you guys and gals showing us what exactly happened. So here, what do we got? That one is Leonard, the cereal baker. What the heck is going on here? There's ghouls in Corvega? I didn't remember ghouls in Corvega, but I got a few pictures from this area. I don't know. Okay. Uh, All right. So let's see here if I can get the... There we go. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. You decided to decorate. That one is McScummy. McScummy. Awesome. <laughs> I like that one. He's sitting on a couch. He's posed some corpses with him. That is Raven, who is starting a new branch of Mods Muggers. Mods Muggers. Oh. <laughs> so he's wearing the, the sparkly dress. Wearing there. the sparkly dress with the, the rolling okay. pin. Mm-hmm. Very stylish. Very stylish indeed. That is Don Riddick. He and Kate filmed an episode of Cutthroat Kitchen. He gave Kate a, a butcher <laughs> knife there. They're both wearing chef hats. It's very cute. <laughs> okay, that one is Strange Dude. He has dragged a bunch of raider corpses in front of the Protectron there, and he's standing with his. What armor is that? Uh, it looks like a vault suit with synth, synth armor. Ah, yeah, that's what that is. It looks kind of like he's wearing an apron, which is probably <laughs> why he wore that. It does kind of look like an apron. I didn't like. I don't like the synth armor in this game, actually. I think it's ugly. It is. What do we got here? That is Grumpy Gaz, who sent us this little ah. montage. It's grumpy. Oh, my goodness. There's blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Very nice. The chat room's saying, yeah, there are ghouls in Corvega. Huh. Are they only there the first time, maybe? I don't know. I don't ever remember seeing them there at all. This one is Chromeisty. I, I know where they're talking about now. If you go in through the basement, there's a tunnel. You can go in. There's some there's some ghouls oh, in there. Oh, I don't think I ever took that route. I always go in through the front door. Yeah, it's a sewer. So mm-hmm. that's right. I remember now. Cool. All right. And then what happened to him? I guess he's dying. <laughs> yeah, he didn't make it. Oh. He did not make it. He said, I think the caption on his was, at least I tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a nice little Spider-Man jump here. That one is Pete Zombie, who has his character looking like the Joker in oh. a dress. Okay, wrong comic book character, but there we go. 
It's pretty rad. Okay, that is Tanner. He says, that's not icing on my rolling pin. <laughs> no, it's not. A bunch of nails, too. Mm-hmm. Pretty rad. <laughs> Let me guess. And that Do one's... Mm-mm, that's no? Griffothelson. Oh. He pin the Muffin Man's Revenge. There were a lot of rolling pin puns that I greatly <laughs> enjoyed. Nice. That's Dumont. Oh, okay. He named his rolling pin Professor Oz pin, which is a uh, Ruby reference that made me really happy. <laughs> Ruby, as I take it, a uh, uh, anime. Ruby's an anime, yeah. And he's always he's always tweeting at me about it. <laughs> that one, I think that's Heather's. But I'm scrolling. I like the honeydew, honeybee. What is it? Honeycomb hair. Um, beehive. Beehive. Yeah. Heather named her pin Aunt Flo, and she <laughs> named McCready's pin Tough Love. Nice. <laughs> and that's me in my. Uh, uh, I actually uh, ballistic weaved that lovely uh, house <laughs> dress, and I have my little chef hat on and my rolling pin Chameleonaire. Nice. I tried to equip Strong with the rolling pin. He refuses. <laughs> and who's that? Man, they've got like scrolling, a scrolling, scrolling. We got a ton of I know. these trees oh shoot did i not get this one i don't know that's like a oh, here it is here it is revolver ocelot oh um, nice name i think this was um a female person i'm not sure revolver ocelot if you're if you're a, a guy then i apologize <laughs> but i have written here revolver ocelot named her rolling pin gordon slamsey which i thought was fantastic <laughs> and like tweeted that. a video at us set to this great melody sheep song like julia child's nice. it's been uh I got I like the headlock thing going on there. Oh yeah, it's a rad, rad move. Oh boy. So good. More blood. And I think that brings us back to the beginning, doesn't it? No, no, we oh, didn't talk about that. That's Vendertron. Ah, there Vendertron we go. Vendertron said, let's make some Raider cookies. <laughs> Gross. There we go. That's we're back to the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, that thank you so much for all those uh, all those submissions. Um we have a few more things. Uh art. Art difficulty, uh, technical dinner roll, um, Callie Linder. They all yeah. sent. They all sent videos, um, which is great too. Um, with the hashtag there, we just obviously couldn't really. really yeah, I, I have been capturing screenshots from the videos, but my internet's been really bad this week, and it was so blurry that I couldn't get a good screenshot. <laughs> now um, we do have a new challenge for you guys, and and. Uh, we think you'll like this one. It, it is my invention, so of course it's a little nutty. I want to see what is the lowest level you can beat the game on. So, like, beat the game, just do a straight run through, and see how low of a level you can stay. Which, because you can't, because it's it's an auto level, so there's that. So I'm really curious to see what you guys can do with that. So mm -hmm. you can pick the difficulty, nothing crazy like that, but just. Just do I'm that. Interested to see how this one goes. That's a hard challenge, Rick. Yeah. So, I think you're much meaner than I am in mm -hmm, challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to be. It's fun. Um, but uh, so yeah, don't forget to use the hashtag FOTR challenge. Also, we've been getting so many different submissions from so many different people that it's starting to get like, a, a, you know, just a lot of pictures and things to go over. So what we're going to do next week is we're just going to pick a couple and and show. And then obviously yeah, we're, we're just not going to be able to feature everyone. Yeah, anymore. We're, we're getting we're getting we're getting a lot of submissions. So um, basically next week, you know, keep using the hashtag, please. And we'll, you know, 
feature bunch and and if we don't get to you sorry but we will definitely you know we will definitely let everyone know that you can find those under the hashtag FOTR challenge yes. so yeah um up next we have Nick Cole we're going to try to get him on Skype here okay Let's see so. if he's on or not yeah well Rick is there doing is. that all right, I'm going to add him in here. All right. Let's see if this, this works This is exciting. Out. This is a lot of dead air here. It's fine. <laughs> It'll all be edited out on the podcast, so. It's good. I uh, didn't seem to reach him at the moment. I'll keep nope, trying. I'm here. Oh, I'm there here. he is. Here he is. I, can, I don't think I can get video, but you do have my voice. <laughs> Yay. Well, that's all right. We have a, uh, we have a solution for that. And let me get that up here real quick. There we go. We had I, I had made a placeholder just in case we weren't able to get you on here. How you doing, yes, Nick? Yes, we have Nick Valentine. <laughs> we do have Nick Valentine. Oh, Nick Valentine is perfect. <laughs> so how are – do what? Go ahead. I was going to say, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful this afternoon, and it's exciting It's exciting to be calling you from the new California Republic city of L.A. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it is a joy to have you here. Um, I don't know if you can see our chat room or not or, I, I, or if you're in the chat room, but – People are definitely excited for you to be on the show. So yeah, we um, we want to just go ahead. We just want to go ahead and get started. And just who are you? What have you? What do you? What do you do? And how long have you been doing it? These sounds like these sound like questions that my my former father in law would ask me. <laughs> who, who are you? And what the hell are you doing with my daughter? And like, you don't want to know. Um, uh, I, I'm Nick Cole, and uh, a lot of people in the post-apocalyptic uh, fan base community know me for a novel that I wrote in 2011 called The Old Man in the Wasteland. And the inspiration for that is, I believe at the time, the Fallout 3 had come out, and I did not have an Xbox. And I really wanted to play it, because in L.A. they had these massive uh, billboards with the iconic power armor up, and I was like, that would be great. And my favorite novel of all time that I read after I got out of the army and I do a yearly reading of it is The Old Man in the Sea. Mm. And I was sitting there thinking, I was thinking, how great would that be if The Old Man in the Sea were set after a nuclear war, like in Fallout? And I thought it'd be pretty great. So in lieu of not having an Xbox, I just began to write that novel and then it hit the indie scene and it exploded and sold about 80,000 copies. Wow. Awesome. Well, congratulations yeah, on that. It's a great book. I love that book. Yeah, that was oh. the one. That was the one that Shalene had recommended to me to to read. I have been actually reading Control Alt uh, Control Alt Revolt, but we'll get into that a little later. Um, so you mentioned to Shalene that you are actually playing Fallout Four now. I am playing Fallout Four, and I'm taking my time, and I'm super savoring it. And it like just occurred to me like that I haven't been, I haven't seen the Constitution yet, which was in <laughs> you know like in the E3 and everything like that. This was like the big thing, but I'm really what I wanted to do in my first run through with my first character is, is take my time and explore everything and really enjoy it. One of the things that I like about fallout is, and I think you guys were talking about it on an episode, maybe two, two episodes back, but just the random sort of encounter, you know, non-story non-canon stuff that 
Bethesda puts together for you, you know, like skeletons posed in certain positions and, mm-hmm. and it's fun mm-hmm. to like stop and, and take a little, like a little detective break, which maybe that's just a writer thing, or maybe everybody enjoys that, but you're like, well, what's the story here? Why are these two guys, you know, why is one guy throttling the other guy over the safe? <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I've always loved that about fallout games because they, they, they do this really cool, um, wink at you, which is, you know, modern video gamers, we're always used to being led along the rails and it's easily, it's easy to get dumb and Fallout's one of those games that, that gives you layers and textures and hides things and then makes stuff that's really not even part of the game that probably didn't, you know, take too much time to make, but it really does texturize the world and that's, that's what I love about it. Yeah, we, we definitely have talked about, talked about that a lot in, in this podcast, you know, especially one of the first instances for me of feeling that gravity was uh, Springvale School in Fallout 3. There's like a, a cage full of like kid skeletons in it. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, well, if this doesn't set the tone, nothing else does, I guess. No, there's there's a super, and I think that's, you know, I mean, the, you couldn't really do that in a lot of other genres. You can't do it in the space sort of space opera thing because everything has to be so bold and so fresh and so terrifying and and so alien and you can't do it in sort of the fantasy settings because everything has to be so epic. But what I think we all really love, and, and, and again, this is just my humble opinion. What we love about post-apocalypse stuff is it's, it's sort of this sweet melancholy, this like vice, like melancholy, like it's like heroin in melancholy form where you kind of just, you dig the, what the, what was, Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that feeling that when you're in, in your 20s and you're getting kicked around or whatever and you pass by your old elementary school and you look at it, it it's it's cool to like look at ruins like that or things like that and just kind of wonder what that was. And I think post-apocalyptic and Fallout does it the best mm-hmm. is the only game that really satisfies that sort of melancholy vice. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, they like to offset offset that with like the most ridiculous comical yeah, whimsical yeah. kind of, kind Some, of humor. Sometimes I wonder about that with Fallout. Like, there's there are some moments where I think to myself, and like, Fallout Four itself is probably one of the most ordinarily beautiful games. Like, you'll be wandering um, near that radio tower just outside of of your first settlement, and and the trees there are like especially dead, and the sky will be moving, and you're like. This is like taking a walk on a winter's day. It's that beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And you know, yeah, but yeah. then and you'll think like what if this game were just solid, you know, uh, the road or solid, you know, like I could get into that. But the <laughs> truth of it is is it would get so downbeat and so overwhelming and like it's actually quite brilliant that Bethesda keeps the humor in there to keep it light because it probably would be like walking out of a David Fincher film. <laughs> yeah. But, you just be like, I just want to kill myself. I don't care. Like when you saw Seven, you're like, great, we're about to kill ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you watch the alternate ending of Seven. What is the alternate ending? Does she live? Do they find the whole torso? No, it's the it's the fetus in the box. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot worse than just the head. <laughs> yeah. It's a feel good movie of 1998. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to say the least. Goodness, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right that, you know, the one thing that I've heard about Fallout 4, too, is that it's a lot more um, serious than, you know, 3 or New Vegas, which it is. And I also find it to be a little bit more, a um, little more dark, I guess you could say. Although I feel absolutely. like I feel like the darkness is a little lost without the, the comedic factor there. Um, but 
I, I think, well, I mean, it's always going to, I mean, setting is always going to be a big part of tone and Boston is a strange place. And I think they really captured that, you know, when you go mm-hmm. to the museum of witchcraft and that's, that definitely is where the game goes very on the rails, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, but, but, you know, the East coast, I'm from the West coast and in the West coast, we're very, we're very gunslinger. We're very optimistic. We're very like, most of the people who've ended up here in Los Angeles or Portland or even San Francisco have in some way, shape or form re-identified themselves. Like you could come from somewhere else and people could say, oh, that's Shailene. And, and she's, you know, this kind of girl, and that's who she is. And, and Shailene could move out here and she could give herself a tomahawk if she doesn't already have one <laughs> and start playing bass in a ska polka punk band. <laughs> That would be, you know, you can reinvent yourself here. And so when you like, that's why like the New Vegas, New Vegas totally works. I think in the fallout world, because you can change outfits and you can have fun and everything like that. But whereas the East coast stuff, you really are, you're playing like in a very specific way. And I mean, this is maybe just me talking, but it's, it it is, it is dark and it is, I, I kind of wish sometimes like the coast, and I haven't really been over there that much in the game so far, but the times that I've gone there, I'm almost like, wow, this is like an awesome melancholy day at the beach for yeah. black Irish people like myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's still, there's like umbrellas still kind of like dishevelly shoved in the sand and beach chairs still left on the beach. Yeah, it is. It is a little drab. Yeah. I never thought about that. I'm an East coast dweller, so I totally understand right. the uh, differences between the coasts, especially because some of my friends moved out, out uh, West. Um, right. Is this your first Fallout experience? No, no, no. Um, Fallout Three would really have been mm. my first, and then not. I didn't ever. Um, I did. I, I I missed the '90s Fallout's, but I knew it was coming, and I and I'd had friends who told me all about it, and and so I really enjoyed Fallout Three, and when was one of those people that was appropriately pissed when there was a level twenty-five or twenty was it twenty twenty-five cap, and you 20, know you I just. Think. That was so brilliant because it just basically conveyed to them that that people are willing to live in this world. I'm a I'm a huge Bethesda person. I think of all the video game companies, they, you know, like despite all the criticism and and flack that they get from gamers, they literally do provide the best content and the best experience. And like there are people that literally wear out uh, their discs, you know, if they still buy on disc of Oblivion or Skyrim living inside that world and and when i wrote like when i write books like control alt revolt or soda pop soldier what i'm touching on is that uh, as our life kind of whatever this world that we're inhabiting and right now inhabiting right now and however it's changing i think we can all agree that it is not the sort of optimistic united states you know where you know you could go off and you could be wider and you could start a cattle ranch and you could become a gunslinger and a pharaoh dealer. You know, life is changing in certain ways. And I think inside of all of us, what we dig about like fallout style games is there's no credit reports and there's no transcripts and, you know, you can do anything. Albeit in fallout, you do it violently with a gun, but <laughs> you can build your own and you can build your own living world. And what I thought was stunning about fallout four was that Minecraft element where now you can build your own <laughs> settlement. And mm-hmm. I think that's the way video games are going. I, I don't like a lot of people I hear are, uh, they're criticizing the story of fallout Four. I'm enjoying it. It's, it's good. Um, it was a fresh take as opposed to just being a vault dweller. That, that was great. <laughs> 
But, you know, and I know that people have problems with it, but the way that I think that, that storytelling in video games is going is it's, it's more you build your own story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this game really excels. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that Fallout, well, Bethesda games in general really do have is the fact that they just kind of, they give you a little, enough backstory to give you an idea of what you're supposed to be doing. But then other than that, they let you grow the character how you want to grow the character. Yeah, I really, that's something I've always loved about Bethesda games is that it's more about the story that you write than it is the story that that they've been written for you. And and I, I actually pitched an idea to Amazon where, it was a video game that literally it, you, whatever you did built the story. And then at the end, it kicked out a book of your adventure <laughs> and Amazon is like, you need to stop taking crack. Okay. <laughs> you know, like that's where I think people are going. I think we're, we, I think we're tired of the modern warfare on the rail, you know, experience where our emotions are, are scored for us. And we, we know where to feel and who to shoot and all that kind of stuff where, but I think, you know, I mean, this is super, maybe this is super mentally ill on my part, but, <laughs> you know, you know, which of your, your, your settlers and, and your, your, you know, the people that live in your different villages, you know, which ones you want to punch in the face <laughs> <laughs> and you know, which guys like you're getting the good weapon and I'm, I'm building this nice house for you, you know, <laughs> and, and there's no way, there's no way to define that. You just, you just do. And you're telling your own story. If you take two little kids out and you give them a pile of dirt in probably a matter of no time, they're going to find the claw that looks like the millennium Falcon and start telling their own stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think we, we do that as adults. And I, and I thought that was absolutely brilliant on the part of Bethesda, give them enough to know the framework. They'll tell their own story and then just step away in the sort of super Zen minimalistic less is more fashion. I think it's worked for me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone in our chat room and, and, and for us on the show, it's, it's totally worked. It's like, here's the toolbox, go build in the world rather yeah, than really. yeah rather than and play I, in the world that's pre-built and the success of this game means they're gonna you know the next step the next generation of this and the next evolution will probably provide deeper story tell story tools to tell in that fashion and it'll get richer and cooler just like you know rail shooters did in in modern warfare mm-hmm. went from you know go down this lane to having bigger experiences so we might be at the very beginning of that renaissance because this game did so phenomenally well. And as I've heard, I think Fallout 5 has already been greenlit. So, <laughs> Of course. You I'm know. sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're yeah. working on it. Well, you can yeah. you can see that progression, I mean, just in, in the game that's coming out in June, No Man's Sky. Have you seen yeah. it? That, I was watching uh, some gameplay of it. It's just mind-blowing the size that they're going to now. And, and you're right. You could see where we're going through games like Fallout. Um, what So, like, kind of going back to the world building and, and telling your own story. What is, what is your current play? Like what's your play style in these games? My play style right now, just, it, you know, the great thing about this, this game and, and next I want to play on, on the new super, you know, hardcore mode where I think they refine some of the issues, but my play style on this one really did get defined by my concern for ammunition and then the power <laughs> cores, because I kept saying to myself, well, I'm having fun in the suit, mm-hmm. but what happens if I need the suit later? So <laughs> la- later in life, I've, I've begun to become more conservative about how, like 18 year old me would have been all suit. And <laughs> yeah. 47 year old me is more like, no, you know, it's save. Come on. You know, so I'm, I'm being much more cautious and I always like sniping. Mm. Um, I like, I prefer stealth and things like that. So 
it does seem in every game that I have that I do make myself a nice little silenced 10 millimeter James Bond pistol. And I solve a lot of my problems with that. Um, so were you a big fan of the deliverer then? Um, which now, which weapon is that? The deliverer is the one you get on the railroad main quest. See, I haven't been there. Ah, you'll like the deliverer. <laughs> yeah. If you look at my map, I literally like I've just zigzagged horizontally. See, that's <laughs> that's that's a question to ask yourself. Did you go south? See, I avoided going south because they said, you know, obviously the game points you south, so I mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. I wanted to go east west. And mm-hmm. and you know, like go all the way to the the uh the eastern side of the map, drop down a fraction, come back and and explore that way. And at times I started wandering down the railroad, but I was like, no, I don't want to do this. So going back to it, I, I prefer the stealth mechanism. Um, if I'm in the suit, I really did. I really did enjoy like the the three encounters that I got to use <laughs> my uh, my big gun. But you never really find five millimeter ammunition to, to me, at least. So, you know, that's 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 kind of the hard part about the suit. But mm-hmm. um Generally, I like to solve. I, I always, I always like when I do a stealth mission. Like the first thing that I, I look at an objective and I say, okay, how do I want to do this? Do I want to sit back and snipe and draw them out and lure them into mines, <laughs> or I just pull out the silencer? And I'm like, time to clean, and then <laughs> I'll just clean everybody. Like a perfect, a perfect objective thing would be like literally only having to engage the main boss, because I'm probably not going to kill him in one shot. Right. But, you know, like just basically doing that to everybody. So I'm a sneaky backstabbing assassin. <laughs> those are those are a lot of fun to play. And the cool thing with this is like if you decide to go all out, you can just go all out and put perks on the fully automatic uh, commando perk if you want, you know. Right. I mean, with with ghouls, though, I did find the ghoul killer shotgun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. And that ends up just being great. Yeah. One of the things that I found that I really enjoyed right off the bat was getting in a suit of power armor and um, I made a sawed-off double-barrel shotgun and went all, like, Terminator on everybody. <laughs> See, that's that's part of the inside internal storytelling is is, is you kind of define what your character... I don't know why all my characters always end up with cowboy hats. <laughs> yeah, because so, they're they always- rad. Why would they not end up with cowboy hats? Yeah, I mean, they always kind of become Roland. Oh yeah! Oh okay. yeah! yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he's referencing the Dark Tower series here, Rick. Oh, okay. King's Dark Tower series. You I, haven't read the Dark Tower? I um. So, truth be told, <laughs> uh, I'm not much of a reader. <laughs> Although this year I uh, I have completed, like I, I've started reading a lot more this year. Like my I <laughs> this, on the show, I was so proud. I announced that I bought my first book <laughs> this year. <laughs> So, yeah, it's um, I think I think I mean, Roland is, you know, after Thunder of the Barbarian, basically Roland is the penultimate. I mean, the ultimate um, post-apocalyptic character in almost. Yeah, I mean, I would say Stephen King definitely, even though he's he's horrific, um, as in he writes horror, the humor of the Dark Tower world is 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 very um akin to fallout in that one of the running jokes inside the dark tower is this cola called nozzle yeah. and you know the, and you also have nuka cola so it's very it would be interesting 
if someone you should get Stephen King on here and talk to him. Oh yeah. Well, I'll we just should, I'll just call him up and to our goals, Rick. Yeah. Our show goals. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, I mean, if if Bethesda would make a Dark Tower game, that would be awesome. Uh, that would be amazing. I have to defend. I would even my... like a Telltale style Dark Tower game. I think we'll get that once with the movie. We'll get something. Mm-hmm. But what are your we'll, thoughts on the movie? I'm really excited about it. I I think that you know I'm, the, you know obviously the whole thing's going to be super weirdly loaded because of the casting choices. I think Idris Elba is like a great casting choice, but then you go well, it, it's you've now got to rewrite a lot of the book. Not you know stuff, but there was a lot of interchange between characters who had racial tensions. So do you mm-hmm. kind of reverse everything now? But I, th- I would say this, I could, I, I could totally understand if the movie sucked because it is in a lot of ways, it's a very ephemeral movie. It's, if you really think about the books in a lot of ways, there's not a super lot going on. I mean, it's, it's a lot of internal stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, um, the uh the whole uh when you when, when you have young role yeah that's another thing you've got to go back and you've got to cast right. young open for that whole book so i think the danger always with hollywood is that they're like is it like lord of the rings because that was a hit <laughs> you know and then they did that with the hobbit and now we find out like you know he was like um yeah i didn't even know what i was doing i was making it up as a peter jackson mm-hmm. so the danger with the big epic is all that Hollywood sees is can we release this in a certain amount of time where we train these Pavlovian theater goers to show up and give us money. And the dark tower seems like it would fit that. But the reality is it's, it's so, I mean, and it's so much more strange, you know what I mean? And then the other part is when JJ Abrams was going to do it. And the rumor on the street was that he proved to Stephen King that he was the right guy to do it by paying him nineteen dollars. Oh yeah, the nineteenth thing. But you get it. Yeah. And, and and so, and 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 here's the final. And not to ruin it, everybody for everybody, but it's not a happy ending. It's mm-hmm. Frodo does not throw the ring, you know. So and the Death Star doesn't blow up. This is, I mean, for most people, this is a jaw droppingly bad ending and i remember just i remember being so stunned by it. it's one of the most perfect endings literarily speaking so we we can't say it but you know it all along but you'll never see it until mm-hmm. the last phrase and then there's the whole mind trap where the author literally comes in and tells you you're not going to like what's going to happen you can put this book down and not read it and be just fine and everything's great <laughs> but if you have to know what happens on the 19th floor then go on. But again, I warn you, you're not going to like it. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you do that in a movie? Yeah. I, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about this movie. I'm really leaning toward it being a disaster though. I, uh, (laughs) I think there's just, yeah, yeah, there's too much there. It should, it needs a longer form. Maybe a, a mini series or something would have been a, a better choice. So I take it. This is a book I should read. Oh yeah. You should totally read it. Well, I mean, like it's a series. The opening line is the the man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger pursued. How can you resist that? <laughs> the only That's brilliant true. thing ever is after True Detective, the man in black is now Matthew McConaughey, and mm-hmm. that's brilliant. But again, you know, 
that character didn't get as much exploration as, as he should have. Yeah, I and, agree with that too. The, you know what I mean? Have you ever gone back and read Eyes of the Dragon? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Eyes of the Dragon. My, uh, my mom read that to me when I was sick, when I was a very young kid. And that's like my <laughs> sick book now, whenever I'm like too sick to, to get out of bed, I reread the Eyes of the Dragon. With the two-headed parrot screaming murder? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, but, and a lot of people don't give it, like, that is, that is a classic fantasy tale that King wrote it's that so people good. just don't even, don't even, I would rather have that be a movie before I would rather have the, I think, I think what That'd it is, a is a movie. lot of us are going to have that Dune moment where you're like, you know, and if you were, I think you guys are too young, but when I was a kid, Dune got made into a movie and everybody was excited about it until they saw it. <laughs> You know, and then and then they because they were such diehard sci-fi geeks and we weren't flush with sci-fi when we were kids. You know, sci-fi was actually quite rare. Like, remember, Star Trek gets canceled after three seasons mm-hmm. like Star Trek. I mean, sci- science fiction was not sexy. And so when you got it, it was like Stand By Me. You traveled to get it, to see the dead body. It was very <laughs> important. And once you'd seen it, you didn't necessarily bash it. But there was this weird sort of quiet, like, huh, that wasn't the book, you know, and that's all you could do. Now, you know, you just get on the Internet and wade in. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of tension, I know, um, from people who are fans of books to the translations of the movies. Um, My father-in-law is a huge J.R.R. Tolkien fan and um, just was thoroughly upset with the Hobbit movies and, and how yeah, they I were mean, not translated well. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you could really see where Hollywood stepped in and said, we, we needed mm-hmm. to be much more, uh, you know, and there were just some strange choices, but I always just say to myself, well, and it's sort of the standard that I've set for my books. I've had Hollywood people approach me on them and I've just said, well, the book is the book and the movie's going to be a new experience. And I think that kind of worked with the Martian because the the, um, the the book is so much more nerdy and math and really super inside humor. It's not super action adventure. It's adding up potatoes and making fun of how, how funny that is, surviving on potatoes. And Matt Damon was like, I don't know that I can work the sexy potato angle. So they had to put in all these big, big scenes. And that's okay. It, it Everybody who saw The Martian loved it. And even people who read the books loved it. So you just kind of have to say to yourself and, and okay, well, here's, here's how I'll sell how, why you will like the dark tower in that you're not watching the book. You're watching another time through. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you, Shailene? Yeah. Like a, like a second playthrough of a video game. Well, <laughs> this isn't no, your same playthrough. We can't, we can't give it away, but remember what happens in the book, you know, with the horn, mm-hmm. at the end, you know, every time is a different time. Mm-hmm. So they, and, and that's where I think like really King could franchise this out. They could bring in other writers to go ahead and tell the 23rd time through the 47th yeah. time through. So maybe we're just seeing the 88th time through. And that's interesting. Why that's a very interesting take on it. That's how I'm going to sit down with my big bucket of popcorn and sell myself. I'm, I'm not seeing 19 yeah. <laughs> being 88. I'm totally not surprised to learn that you're a Stephen King fan because I see a lot of King in the way that your characters are built in the, uh, the red King. And, uh, I just finished the dark Knight. Oh, thank and, you. uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of King in the way that you've built your characters in those. those I, books. I 
Stephen King and I spent a lot of time together uh, in my head. <laughs> I used to drive a lot, and so it would just be me and Stephen King on Death Row in the Green Mile or <laughs> Nightmares in Dreamscape. And so, like, you know, people in the literary community give Stephen King a hard time. But my personal opinion is he's like a he's like a cross between Beethoven and Mozart. I mean, he's just not only is he just freakishly good, he's he's hardworkishly good. Yeah. But he only has commercial success. And because of the way the literary community is, they're very jealous of that. And so they'll withhold that sort of validation. And and, and that doesn't seem to bother him a lick because he's kind of just really a hillbilly. He doesn't really care. He's a rich hillbilly and he came from being poor. So he's like, I don't really care. I'd rather be rich than critically loved. (laughs) You know, so and he's 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 a guy now as he becomes sort of this elder statesman and things like that. I'm sure, you know, people will. But, you know, he's just he I think that he had, you know, people know him for horror, but it's really his characterizations that Mm -hmm. that really. And his, his, his fearlessness, and I think, I hope that's something I've tried to do, but in a lot of PA fiction, post-apocalyptic fiction, you get people writing their fantasy, their sort of prepper fantasy, as in, I'm Jack Bauer, and I've got a rucksack, and it's got every type of scissors that I'm going to need for every kind of wound, every bandage, every <laughs> bullet, and it's just it just becomes this sort of prepper laundry list of how perfectly I would solve the apocalypse. And that's not right. That's writing, but it's 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 close to sort of erotic fantasy. It's not, you know, it's not real. It's just what you kind of would like to have happen. Whereas Stephen King, and then you know, is it was good that you mentioned, great that you mentioned the Dark Tower. He'll take a character that's that's seriously flawed, and then go down that Kurt Vonnegut trail of now do everything rotten that you can to them, and when you've run out of rotten things to do that's the end of the story and so in the dark tower i took a special needs adult and put them through the zombie apocalypse and their only their only touchstone is that they think that they're batman when they have their rubber mask on and their dad then their dad taught him how to throw one punch and that kid has to make it through the zombie apocalypse and so that's tough you you've got to figure out and in control all revolt i took a blind person and made them play video games and it doesn't seem like it would add up, but the, the obstacles make it more fun as a writing experience. And what you find out is that people really dig that because we have obstacles in our life. And so it's easier to identify with those characters. Yeah, you're right. And actually that part, that whole space opera in control or vault has been like one of my favorite, you know, subplot story arcs through that entire through that novel. Um, but before we get, cause I do want to talk about that book I, cause I'm reading it now and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. See, I'm reading. Um, yes. but before, uh, before we get into that, you know, a lot of your book books focus on, on post-apocalyptia type scenarios. Where did that interest come from? Like what, like what was it that just living in Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like, like I could sit there and trace, I mean, one being a, a child of the eighties, uh, yeah. you know, and that first off, you know, you're doing the stop, drop and roll drills. You would read sort of like, there would be a lot of books about the day after. And then the day after was a movie that literally came to, um, ABC. And it was so controversial because of some of the things that was showing 
that like if you went to a Christian school like I did, the, you know, they literally had to tell your parents like this movie's coming and maybe you don't want to watch it and blah, blah, blah. You know, like and so I, I don't think people realize now how important nuclear war was if you grew up in the 80s, which was really even though, you know, we all have these sort of ideas about what it is now. The reason it was so nihilistic and so fun based and so plastic because we really were taught that missiles took 45 minutes to reach over the top of our heads from Moscow. And so that might have been a light fact, but, you know, we didn't do our stop, drop and roll drills because of earthquakes. We did them because of nuclear weapons. And, and that's the truth of that. Then you get this great cartoon called Thunder of the Barbarian that was just like nothing else on on TV on Saturday morning. And even though they were talking about like it was this sort of natural event, it was still post-apocalyptic. And then Star Trek coming out of the 60s, which you were watching on reruns at five and six o'clock on Saturdays. <laughs> a lot of the times they had this society destroy themselves from nuclear war. So it was it was really hardwired into your conscience. I was in the military. I was in the Cold War. I was part of that whole thing. And so then, you know, I was the kind of guy who had to wear this, the gas mask and, and, and your, your, your battle rattle and stuff like that. So I'd been there through that. And that was part of my experience. I got out and like a lot of veterans, I began to couch surf and probably drank too much and, and other things. And you kind of, I, I think I was kind of very lost at that time. And I was, I was sort of fantasizing about starting over. And, and you begin to think like, well, what if the world ended and I could just sort of make my own way in life? And so there was that. And then there were sort of in the early nineties and the late eighties, there were a lot of movies like night of the comet or miracle mile, which is a movie a lot of people don't know about, which is a great nuclear war movie. Um, they just kind of explore like that big reset button that post-apocalyptia is. And then, like I said, it just kind of morphed into the writing style and there you go. <laughs> That's that definitely has a lot more uh, gravity than than mine. Where I was, I was handed a controller at the age of like ten or eleven, and Resident Evil Three was was now at my disposal, and that was like my introduction to post-apocalyptia. I obviously bypassed the Cold War um, scare by a few years. <laughs> you put your hand on a controller. I was steeped in it. Yes, so I, give, I, I can I can give you the Bane speech. <laughs> the only the only the closest I ever got to the Cold War was where I lived as a child. Um there was like a state owned government building where when it got torn down my uh, uncle um <clears throat> ended up procuring some like old school maps of like wind fallout because there's a reservoir right where I grew up that feeds well uh, provides water to Baltimore City. So um like you know during the Cold War that was a big the government was watching that reservoir for any like red activity. Yeah. Uh, so there's oh, you guys, I mean, you guys would not even have survived a first strike. The whole East coast was predicted to be gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have been gone. <laughs> Especially Baltimore with all the shipyards and, and things like that. So, you know, um, and the, and the military presence. So it, it's, yeah, I mean that I think, I think like a lot of either people who got sober nuclear war was sort of our liquor and our vice. And then after you kind of get sober, you're like, ah, I would never do those things. But people don't realize like how in our generation and probably the one before it, I'm generation X. 
and the next generation after that, we're very much the the immediate annihilation and the possibility of having to survive afterwards is is in our our DNA for some reason. You know, and the reason is because really our whole society was and I think as the years go by and, and the data gets released, we're going to find out that we came pretty close to, to nuking each other at several points. Yeah. I, and every so often there will be a story that comes out and says, yeah, like, you know, in 80 or like in 88, when Reagan sat down with Gorbachev, we were like they set the clock one minute to midnight. <laughs> oh, goody. <Yeah>. Like, what? <laughs> um, I, I also know that. uh there was in NORAD, I believe, a 25 cent um, computer component went bad and it started making the radar show a whole bunch of incoming projectiles like like 200 or something. And they thought it was that, you know, Russia had launched all their nukes at once and we were about to launch ours. And then somebody realized that the computer had a glitch mm-hmm. and was yeah. like, that's how close we were to just being over. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there's there's. There, there are those stories and then as you begin to understand, you know, or you, you look at history more, you listen to the, the, the podcast Hardcore History and you look at what the Mongols did to the Russian psyche and why the Russians are so mistrustful and so willing to, to, to do whatever it takes to defend themselves. It, it was very possible that the Russians could have just started one preemptively on the odds that they might have won. You know, like, and you're like, really? But they've already like when you have certain there are certain races in our history, like if you take the Israelis, they have 20 nuclear weapons. And but they also have a a philosophy that governs their military and it's never again. And so what they're saying is we will never be the subject of genocide again. And these 20 nuclear weapons are to ensure that. And so I don't think we as the United States, I could never see us actually launching a nuclear strike. But there are other nations that say, well, we might just have to. Yeah. And that gets freaky. And the, or you have India and Pakistan with each other's guts and have nuclear weapons. And the funny thing is, too, and you were talking about, um, you know, those types of movies in, in the 80s when it came to the Cold War, uh, Cold War scare. And then you can look at movies like Saw and Hostel. Um, what I like to call torture porn was very popular when um, the Guantanamo Bay controversy started popping up. And then you look at today, and with threats like ISIS and that sort of thing, you're seeing a lot more. You're seeing a lot more post-apocalyptia and um, spy versus spy kind of stuff coming back into culture. And, right. and I think um, you know, and we all know that art reflects culture. And I think this big push of all these big open-world games, all these post-apocalyptic games like The Division and Fallout, all kind of speak to this, like, to our generation of. Uh, you know, of what, you know, what would happen if everything fell apart? You know, how would we, how would we make our own way when we aren't given a special scissor for every wound? If we're just given like, mm-hmm. here's an empty gun, uh, you know, one little health pack thing and go out, go on your own. Um, so I, I really think that's reflective of the, of the, the psyche of the world today. I just find that all in, very interesting. A lot of people just, oh, go ahead, Shaylee. Sorry, I was just going to say that I've always kind of felt our fascination with post-apocalyptia comes from the fact that all of our lives are hard. You know, everybody has problems. And when you look at somebody that's in a zombie apocalypse, that's a a special needs adult with one punch surviving the zombie apocalypse or, you know, et cetera. 
And we think if, if they can do it, then, you know, my stuff's not so bad. If they're getting through, you know, these problems in the apocalypse. Yeah. Or it's like when you're on Facebook and you, one of your contacts says, you know, I just finished chemotherapy today. Yeah. You're like, and you, and you felt bad because, you know, something mundane didn't happen for you. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's a perspective shift. And I think, Exactly. But I think the, the, the surge in post-apocalyptic right now is like and, and Hunger Games is post-apocalyptic and a mm-hmm. lot of that YA fiction is very post-apocalyptic. I think people are not feeling super optimistic about the future, but and, and, and that's very much because of government or, you know, mm-hmm. the terrors of ISIS or whatever that's going on. But hardwired into all of us is this whether you believe in sort of manifest destiny or you believe in evolution is this desire to keep living no matter mm-hmm. what. And, and so that's, we're, we're getting like, we're getting that, that I wish I could go off on my, go off into the hills and make my way. But like when you like star Wars is, was an interesting thing when it came out this year, because when it came out in 77, it was very much like, this is the, you know, it's, it wasn't the future, but it was very bright and hopeful and optimistic and all these kinds of things. And everything was cutting edge and, you know, here's the empire and even the rebels have great equipment and everything like that. And then you go to the star Wars they released this year and it's actually a post-apocalyptic star Wars. Mm. Yeah. When you really think about the crash star destroyer and you think about what, what is her job? She's a scavenger, Yep. you know? Mm -hmm. And so they really like, post-apocalyptic is so influential in the culture right now that it actually influenced space opera, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. I know that, um, I know that it was definitely a different scenario on, uh, I can't think of the planet they were on. Um, when junk she, planet. yeah, the junk <laughs> planet, when like she would give like the scrap and he gives her like just a small yeah. portion of food. Yeah, and, exactly. That was very fall. I mean, Bethesda right now could just go to Star Wars and say, let's do, you know, Fallout Star Wars. And people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that so much. All right. We yeah. own it, Fallout. <laughs> um, but, yeah, kind of going along with this, like, world ending, you know, post-apocalyptia, um, I want to I want to move our focus over to Control-Alt-Revolt a little bit, where it's. In my opinion, the world has ended because it's a dystopia and I would hate to live in the world you created there. Because it, <laughs> All right now I know where you stand politically. Well, <clears throat> let me let me let me let me give you an idea of our listeners of what what kind of world I think is con- in con- control out revolt. Right. So a couple weeks ago, this guy invented or whoever invented this water bottle that texts your phone if you haven't drank enough water for the day or if it's empty. Um, so control out revolt's world remind, like makes me feel like that guy who invented that somehow became CEO of everything. Yes. And like just made technology and also no offense if you thought the names for the, some of that stuff were awesome, but named things cause they were the yeah. most ridiculously goofy, like the Xbox dream fudge. <laughs> Like, I feel like the R and I feel like the R and D team was just like, oh, this would be a great idea. And it's just like, I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> everything was supposed to be like super crappy in that way, super, super yeah. sacrificial because you know a lot. And, and I tried to illustrate that point with the suit Evan Pratty, who is just learning what he thinks is like gamer lingo, and, and, <laughs> yes. 
and he's the guy selling to gamers but that's that's not what and that's always the danger of a successful game it's like it's like the um it's like a rock band that gets successful on a really like it's like nirvana you know being really successful on this this album that's straight from the heart you mm-hmm. know that's that's very raw and visceral and emotive but what would have happened if kurt cobain would have stuck around and 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 you know gone the mc hammer route of trying to be relevant in new <laughs> mediums he, he wouldn't you know like and and that's 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 the problem with with gaming is that enjoy it while you can because <laughs> most likely it's going to get crapified well yeah. and so yeah the xbox dream fudge is what it's, it's a couple of executives saying well we want to give people their dreams and what's sugary fudge all right let's <laughs> make that the next piece of crap they have to buy you know and so that's that <laughs> yeah there, there are like aspects of it that sound amazing like the make sounds very very interesting um yeah. the the game that is I can't think of what the Star Trek uh, game it's in that world. Starfleet Empires. Yes. And it's based on an old board game um, from the days of game stores and D&D. And that game was called <clears throat> Starfleet Empires. Mm. And I mean, not Starfleet Empires, but uh, Starfleet Battles. Mm. And so it was it was Star Trek. But you, you know, like it was like it was like Star Trek, but Battleship, but a little more complicated. <laughs> and so it was just my throwback to that. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. And that like. You know, and like I was saying before, the space opera aspect of this, that game sounds insanely wonderful to like, like that part to me that of the book is, is probably the happiest part, even though it's the most <laughs> dire, um, you know, of, of circumstances and, and what's going on. Um, but, but yeah, I just, just, I don't know. As soon as the book started out, I loved the satire with like how PC that world is. And I'm I'm like a big Mel Brooks fan, so I'm totally not PC by any stretch, um, right. to an extent. And uh, th- that world, just to read some of the instances, I had to like set the book down for a second and be like, "This is <laughs> like I would just not want to live there." <laughs> no, and it's it was saying things that we can't always say anymore because everybody's mm-hmm. gotten so unfunny, and you can't make fun of stuff. And it's you know it's. I don't know that if there were a Spaceball two, the first thing Spaceballs two, the first thing that would happen is they would they would attack it for either being misogynistic, racist, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's the internet has made it too easy to weigh in on everything. And the problem with corporations is they're not when someone, you know, like in that very New York way, when someone tells you to quote unquote F off, you just turn around and go, F yourself and keep moving. And I don't mean to be vulgar or say that, but like we as normal people, you know, we just go whatever and you move on. But mm. corporations, if they get attacked in any way, shape or form, they immediately form a committee and they hire consultants and then they they find a cross on which to nail themselves. And, mm. and it just makes it and they say, let's never do Let's never tell this joke again. And <laughs> it's so bad that like in Hollywood, I even know people that hate Will and Grace and they say <laughs> – and, and I'm like, but that's your show. And they're like, yeah, but the characters are too cliche. And I'm like, yeah, but before that show, there were no gay shows. Yeah. And then you had a gay show and now you hate that one gay show. And they're like, yeah, it's too cliche. So it just goes to show that, like, you can never do anything that's going to please everybody. And we as normal people know that. Mm-hmm. But we have these big societies and organizations and grassroots groups that, like, they'll 
they look for things to be aggrieved at. And so when this book first came out, it got a lot of controversy. Yes, it did. And yeah. I literally had people who were just scanning to find what they could be offended. And I knew that they hadn't read it. They're like, this book is just misogynistic, um, homophobic, uh, bro video game humor. And I was like, I know you didn't read it because you didn't read about the main character three chapters in. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't have made that statement. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember, um, I started this book and I had remembered hearing something about controversy around it. And I found a podcast you were on and I do not remember the name of it, but it's where you talked a lot about what had happened and we don't have to get into that, but me talk a lot. What? <laughs> oh. talk a lot? And I was going to say, you're absolutely right. Like there is absolutely like even the part that they considered, uh, I think it was your, uh, publisher had considered the controversial part was just so fleeting. And it was just like just it just was a trigger mechanism for the whole for the whole story, and it was like yeah. I don't understand how this you know and it just you know we you know we were talking about Mel Brooks like Blazing Saddles would have never been made today and that had one of the biggest like um, uh, what do you want to call it, it had like the biggest like anti-racist <laughs> yeah. messages ever totally but they wouldn't make it now no like, it would, yeah. I mean mainly not just animal the violence when no <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, but or, but actually, I just read something today about DC culture. They wouldn't make it now today because of the fart scene. Because there's literally a group now saying that that, that males are dominating women by passing gas. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying I'm just putting like they wouldn't make that movie now because of a scene that you can't even if you're a polite, genteel person like my wife. You know, who would never met you can't not watch that scene and almost pee your pants. <laughs> well, it's so hilarious. You know, uh, going a little Mel Brooks off the record, he told a story of when they put that into the um, the the studio that that was like one of the only scenes they wanted them to cut be because of content. Everything else was fine, yeah, except the farting scene was like that has to go. But he kept it anyway. It's gold, comedy gold. It is, you yeah. Know? So there, there was, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. So I wanted to kind of go back to Control at Revolt and with that book, I don't know if anyone's read it in our chat room or if anyone listening has read it, but I wanted to get your, I'm maybe a little put on the spot here, but I wanted to get your opinion on like, are you like hopeful or fearful of the future? Are you like you the glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy? Um, it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you this Shatner. Uh, if we all pull together with the constitution, no, it's crap. <laughs> Um, you should learn those. Like, like I tell, I, there's in, I wrote this one book called the end of the world as we knew it, which was, uh, um, the walking dead meets the notebook is how I tell. <laughs> and, and this one, guy on says, you know, uh, this guy, one guy says, you know, I think the world's coming back online and everything's better. And this other guy has been across the United States by train and seen how many zombies there are because they, they, they did this brave train mission to reconnect the two safe zones and he tells the guy, I'd go buy that 44 Magnum if I were you. Things are not getting better. No, there's no evidence. I mean, I don't think, you know, the political things that are going on, I don't I don't see I don't see anything there. Um, the, so, uh, the, the sort of downward trend in a society that that is aggrieved over nothing, but then tells you you can be anything you want to be. There's real no there's no moral culture anymore. So. I think that's a, that's a weak point for our society. I think that we're too this is like a weird statement to make. I think we're too like diverse and there's no consensus of opinion except the rest of the world isn't that way. 
you have a lot of unified groups of people who are very ambitious about what they want to do, like China. And we're a group of people that can't even decide whether we want to elect a clown who ran a game show or a guy who had $68,000 in credit card debt when he was 40 and had his first job. You know, so it's really crazy, but I don't think we're working on the big issues anymore. We're working on all this super, you know, minutia stuff. That's, that's the political aspect. Um, doesn't it seem like every year we get some weird, crazy South American <laughs> virus that scares the hell out of it? You're like, no, I'm not going to the county fair. There's Zika. Yeah, I'm not. I'm out. You know, like you, every day you pick up the newspaper and you're like, what the hell? I'm not part of, you know, like and so we're withdrawing. So at the same time, the whole prepper movement is getting really big. I think very soon you're going to see like um, a certain personality advertising prepper products at target, you know, the prepper line. And it's going to be, I, I don't know. I think there does like, if you really talk to a lot of the big think tank people like Victor Davis Hanson and Thomas Sowell or people like that, a lot of people do seem to think there is some event on the horizon. Even people who are more like on the science and evolutionary there, they'll tell you like, well, we're due for some sort of planet killer, whether it's a Spanish flu or whether it's a meteor. No, things are probably going to get worse. Yeah, and you can see it's it's kind of funny that a lot of that translates over into into fallout because you laugh at the politicians and you laugh at like vault tech of like yeah. those guys are super creepy and super crazy and and you know they just were evil and then <laughs> we kind of have like uh you know maybe not vault tech crazy but then you have like the FBI who's like could you guys make like a backdoor software for your iPhones please and it's just like yeah hmm and then yeah. Or you have Mr. Scorpio or Elon Musk saying, let's let's hit Mars with a nuclear weapon and make it habitable. And by the way, let's run this training. I mean, he's basically creating vault tech now by trying to get people to go to Mars. So it is super weird. Yeah. And then you have the, the crazy, you know, politician who we all know who we're talking about. But I like yeah. <laughs> it's got this really interesting fallout fallout flavor uh to it um oh absolutely <laughs> which is kind of funny uh, maybe I that's almost fallout new vegas <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um t- like so does playing fallout give you an escape from this sort of thing or does it just give you kind of a more like oh this is future training for me <laughs> <laughs> um i think i think that there is it would be a nice marriage of both and that <laughs> You know, like it is an escape. Like I usually write for most of the day and then I'll play a couple hours of fallout before it's time to watch binge watch something on Netflix. (laughs) But um, at the same time, it it is kind of fun to just sort of do resource management or 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 make. I think what we're always doing with games is we're gaming scenarios uh, of the future and no, do I think it's going to be Fallout? No, but it also just shows you, well, if I make this choice now, what when that was always a big Fallout thing, though it's not in this game, it would show you, okay, you made all these choices and this was the ramifications of yeah. the results. Mm-hmm. You can more see those now by like, you know, not necessarily building defenses for that town or doing this thing over here. And that's that's something that we've lost in this sort of everybody gets a trophy for playing baseball society now. <laughs> is there's no consequences and and even in california right now i don't know if you know 
we're now going to give everybody and you guys are probably brilliant and smart because you're podcasters and you're, you know, I can tell you're intelligent and you, that was probably, probably a pretty big achievement that you got your high school degrees, but you probably both have college degrees, but at the same time, you knew kids in high school that were slackers or, you know, whatever, and they didn't get degrees or screwed up or whatever. Now in California, we're giving everybody a degree regardless. Hmm. Yeah. And so we have this new society where, you can do whatever you want and there are no consequences. And that's yeah. not how life really is. There really are consequences. And that's the great thing about hardcore mode in Fallout is you can, you, you know, in a perfect hardcore mode, you, you should get to a point where you realize that you've played the fool and aired extremely, you know, exceedingly. And there's no recovery from the deficit that this character is suffering. You, you know, he's just two out of bullets, two irradiated, nothing's working. He's in the wrong area. You should have that experience. You, you've you know? been listening to my spoiler cast story, haven't you? <laughs> I know I haven't. It, uh, it, once you finish the game, check out our spoiler casts. Um, my story is exactly like that, where I th- my intentions were good. But the road it led down was like I, to the point where I don't even play that character anymore. I created a second character. I don't even touch that other one. Yeah, because it was super Imagine depressing. Imagine if we did that with kids in high school right now. We said, "This is your semester. You're gonna play Fallout <laughs> for an hour a day on hardcore mode, and at the end of the semester, we're gonna look at your life." And there's a lot of kids that you know. I mean, I had to have a series of sort of calamities in my life to kind of turn around and say, "Well, do I want to keep you know?" partying every night and drinking myself into a blackout state or should I adjust this and get serious about that acting career so I can be the next Matt Damon (laughs) and so I know we all know how that worked out well we definitely also know that uh, after the apocalypse happens in real life we can all gather a community of fallout players because we'll be the only ones picking up all of the duct tape we can find. Yeah, aluminum cans, <laughs> aluminum cans. scrapping well, our telephones. That's what they found out with Warcraft shorts. is that with Warcraft, kids learned math skills. With Fallout, you're going to learn that like, oh, there are things that you think are, you know, throw away that you can actually use like duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> it is the uh, fixer of everything. Uh, yeah. we, we actually have... Um, a listener question. Somebody wrote in. Uh, we had asked if people could qu- ask you questions if they wanted, and we have we have one here. It's and not my mom. Do what? I am, it's not my mom, is it? No, no. <laughs> uh, unless your mom's name is Keenan, um, then no. Uh, so Keenan was wondering if he if you have ever referenced anything in one of your books that was based off of um, a meme. So like, like watch out, we got a badass over here. I think is what he's saying, or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, in a certain way, control all revolt would almost be nothing but memes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, there's just, and I can't recall some of the specific things, but I feel like control all revolt was in a lot of ways just sort of looking at the way that a lot of people, you know, like right now people are obsessed with Iceland, you know, and the whole Nordic, you know, utopia and just, you, you, there, there, there are these movements and memes where everybody thinks, you know, it, it, this would be great or whatever. And what I was doing in Control Alt Revolt was saying, well, okay, what if you, you know, what if you didn't have to work and you could just do, you know, the government would pay for your college and pay for your vacay abroad and all these kinds of things. 
what would happen when you still, you know, you didn't get that sense of accomplishment. So yeah. I think what I, I was doing in control alt revolt was I was actually attacking a lot of memes. <laughs> I think so. Definitely seems that way. There's something that I was talking about with Rick before we started the show with regard to control alt revolt, which I am reading currently. Yeah. Um, is that, um, it's a little like um, oh, my stupid Xbox turned on. I'm sorry, I couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, so Dream Five. My Xbox is always turning it itself does. on it's in like, the middle I, of the podcast, and then it kills my a, bandwidth. Do you have the camera? Yes, I hate its yeah, guts. I, I need to unplug at, it. I think someone at Microsoft has a little crush. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways, Rick and I were talking about um, okay. Um, all of the references in Control-Alt-Revolt, you have to draw a parallel with Ready Player One, which, of course, is the darling of the nerd community. And uh, I read Ready Player One because everybody loved it so much. I didn't think it was a bad book, but I also didn't think it was a good book. And uh, I feel like it's really written on the fact that people love it because there are good things in it. You know, not because it's good, but because it includes references to other things that they love. And uh, that's something that I love about Control-Alt-Revolt. It has all these references, but it also has likable characters and a solid plot line. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think I think Ernest Klein's is is a very excellent fanboy. And I think he bravely did what a lot. I don't I think he really did pioneer that sort of nostalgia surfing and binging Mm -hmm. but i don't know that his ability to do characters was super well developed i know that's what he got attacked for on armada and yeah when you look at parsifal it's not the most wonderful character now i listened to ready player one and will wheaton made that book work for me oh he did the he did the vo for it yeah and it's great oh i gotta do that i gotta check that that's that's what makes I think a large part of, of Ready Player One's success is Will Wheaton, to really okay. tell you the truth. Not, not to bash another author. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the experience and everything like that. But it, 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 it really he, – he makes it come alive, and it's, he's the perfect casting choice for it. Now, maybe I can only just say that as an actor and, and just disregard that, and Ernest Klein's is great, blah, blah, blah. But characterization, one-note characterization was something he sort of got nailed on in Ready mm-hmm. Player One and, and then in Armada. So I, I didn't want to do that, and that's, you know, that's evident with the AIs. I did not want to do the Mr. Smith, humanity is a virus, and we're going to wipe them all out. I wanted to give them a reason why they want to wipe out humanity. And as an actor, it has to be a really like if you know if you're going to be Sir Alec Guinness, yes, you play Obi Wan Kenobi, but you also play Hitler, and you can't go in and play Hitler like I'm Hitler, and I want to just do evil today. No, you got, you're like I'm Hitler, and I like shortbread cookies and my girlfriend and doing weird stuff with the occult, you know. And you've got to be, you've got to you've got to advocate for the character. And so when mm-hmm. I did the AIs, that was what was the controversial issue. I had to make it real for them. Like they were little children that were just kind of discovering like when we're little kids, like the first time that you realize you can be kidnapped and taken away and (laughs) you're, you're all what? All of a sudden you're in the basement for the rest of your days. Yeah, exactly. And that was what I wanted to do with the eyes. And that's, that's even though they become um, Roy Batty from Blade Runner, that's what I wanted to start them out with. And so you, you, 
you're telling a story, but it's a story about people. Mm-hmm. So that's that's I think science fiction can be weak in those areas because we can get so obsessed with the big effect and the big light show and the big computer. But you really do have to tell a human story. So we have a question from our chat room. Vendertron was saying that he loves Control-Alt-Revolt, first of all. And he wanted to ask, what is one of the most surprising things that you learned in creating your books? I always do like some kind of research for every book. When I wrote The Savage Boy, it was about how to kill a bear. And it's actually mm-hmm. not that hard. Um, and then I wanted to learn how to like do everything with the skin and, and all those kinds of things. For Control-Alt-Revolt, what I really needed to understand was artificial intelligence. So like... Tony Stark, I just became an expert on it, you know, in one night. Um, But what you find out with artificial intelligence is that there's a whole, and I once did a panel with Daniel H. Wilson, who's the guy who wrote wrote Robocalypse, and he's sort of the the foremost science fiction thinker in the field. And his opinion was, no, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. It's never going to be. He just had that super nerd cap down on, no, we're never going to break light speed. And that's no fun. I had to really get into artificial intelligence and understand not what it is, but what there is to be afraid about it. And what you find out is that there are some very big thinkers from Elon Musk to even Bill Gates and even Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. who have weighed in and said, this is something that should be concerned because this is not going to be like a, a very personable version of Mr. Wizard, our calculator. This is actually going to be a living personality like you or me, which is great. But what if that personality is like Ted Bundy? You know, (laughs) right. That's yeah. And that's one thing I enjoyed about Control Revolt was that you you referred to them more so as thinking machines, because what I cannot stand people doing nowadays like media is when they call something an AI when it's technically a VI Right. And it's just, just like it's not it's not it's not an artificial intelligence. It doesn't think for itself. It's programmed, you know, within boundaries. So it's technically a VI. And that's one thing I really enjoyed about the book is you kept, con- you know, talking at it or you kept referring to it as a, a thinking machine. Yeah. So or like, life life digital. You know, I mean, that's right. the way that you could look at it. That's and I just had to keep advocate because it, it would be too easy for them to be Mr. Smith, which is a great character. But it's a one-note character, just like Darth Vader was in the first movie. Darth Vader is a one-note character. It's later that we get the depth and how he's become so iconic now. But you have to fight and advocate to even, as a writer, keep your villains real. And and there are video games that do that, where you get really great villains. And then there are video games that don't. And then you just get this boss that you're running towards and running away from when he picks up his giant hammer. And you you don't want to... You don't want to turn this video game book into that. So that's what I was trying to do. Gotcha. Um, Has Fallout influenced your work at all? Yeah, definitely from like how I talked about with The Old Man in the Wasteland. I mean, that that sprang out of an extreme Mm -hmm. desire to play Fallout. And it was such like it looked like such an awesome game. And it really was when it first came out, but I just, I didn't have an Xbox. So I, I, I was kind of reading all the magazine articles and, and web articles that I could find about it. And then just beginning to play it in my head using 
a a story structure that I already knew in mm-hmm. in Soda Pop Soldier, which is the book that led to Control Alt Revolt. Although both are standalones, that was a desire to marry the Battlefield game and Call of Duty into one game (laughs) and then also play Diablo as sort of this weird CD Vegas type gambling game. That sounds (laughs) rad. I have to read that. Colorfast Rain 20 in the chat room asks, what is the most creative (laughs) thing that you did in the book? I believe referring to Control Alt Revolt. Um, the most creative thing I did in the book, I would say definitely is what I do think is going to happen soon, which is the captain Jason dare show. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's basically taking, um, people, it's basically taking an MMO and this is a place that's called Starkly battles and having a studio use a haptic stage to actually show a group of players playing on a live set the game that you're playing and then being able to interact with them. And this is the crew of um, a constitution class cruiser called the intrepid. Yeah. And like I said, that's, that's probably one of my favorite parts of the book, but you can definitely, you can definitely see things going that direction too, with the mm-hmm. advent of with the, not the advent of esports, but the increasing popularity of esports and things like Twitch yeah. and YouTube gaming. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. I think before Twitch, moves to some sort of in-game based show. I mean, it could, it could be something as stupid as Minecraft, but it'll be some sort of either dramedy or probably initially, initially it'll be an, an MMO kind of action show, but it's set in the game that you're playing. And on certain nights, you'll actually be able to interact with those people. So you'll be in the show. Uh, Xbox already tried that really with a game show that they did a couple of years back. I think it was a big success, but they took it off. Hmm. Are you talking about one versus 100? Yeah. I loved one versus 100. I was like trading (laughs) shifts at work so that I could be home to play. I have all the achievements for that game. I'm so proud of that. You can't get them now. (laughs) My wife and I took like, we would, we stopped like kind of, I think it was on Friday nights. Like it was on the, and it was, they were really just testing it. And one night she Mm -hmm. got into like the top 10. It was crazy. Oh gosh. I would have died to be in the mob. Oh, I love it so much. I missed that boat. That's for sure. <laughs> but that was that was the precursor, and I think that's oh, yeah. the way that it's going. So you've written a lot of apocalypse stories. What's your favorite apocalypse story that you didn't write? Definitely would be the road. I think the road is, and people give the road a hard time for a number of reasons because it's so super downbeat, and you know because Cormac McCarthy doesn't like to use punctuation. But that's probably the most beautiful book. It's in the top ten most beautiful books ever written. Mm-hmm. That uh, I've only like sorry, but I've only seen the movie, and just that. just to kind of give you an idea of what I thought this was going to be, I thought it was going to be like um, like a post-apocalyptic action kind of thing, like Book of Eli, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, I was alone. My wife was out of the house. I, I got the popcorn and the soda and I cried my eyes out. Just yeah. Broadsided. <laughs> and the book, I mean, the book is just and the if you if you read Cormac McCarthy, the reason that he, he, he wrote the book um, was he was 70 and he had a kid and mm-hmm. he knew that he was going to die before the kid got older. And this was his way of framing that. But hmm. one of the most beautiful trilogies you can ever read is his all the pretty horses trilogy which matt damon made a movie out of but it's three books long 
And the road is sort of really just, I mean, it was an Oprah book club favorite. That's how weird that book is, Mm -hmm. but it's totally grim, dark, Mm -hmm. long. But I think where that book really excels is the description of the post-apocalyptic landscape. And you need sort of this really crazy naturalist Westerner laconic. I mean, it, it literally, if, if Clint Eastwood would narrate that book, that would be the equivalent of Will Wheaton narrating yeah. ready yeah. player one good casting that that definitely that definitely yeah that would be um i think I was, there was something else i was gonna say but i don't remember what it is at this point so we'll, we'll move on but yeah so i think that's all of our listener questions at the moment and that's that's all i have and I'm, i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking with us tonight it was oh, lovely thank meeting you. you. Have me back anytime <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely um i will be finishing up your book uh you know, post haste because I actually have a second book sitting underneath your book to finish. I actually got Pale Blue Dot to read after uh, after Control uh, Revolt, so I got to get to awesome. reading that. I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. But you um, do it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming out, and uh, hope, you know, hope you're enjoying Fallout. We'll have to have you back on to see. Maybe maybe once you finish the story, like let us know, and we'll have you back on to see how yeah, your absolutely. how your story played out. I would love to, and it would be fun to do like a hardcore. You know, like, I mean, like, in the book, um, Control-Alt-Revolt, one of the most popular shows is World's Worst Firefighters. <laughs> and that, it would be fun to have, like, a World's Worst Hardcore Stories. Like, <laughs> if people would just, like, tell, like, this is where it got. When I started eating other people is where I realized like, <laughs> I'd lost time. You know, just a survivor. You know, where I just totally, you know, like, I think a, a World's Worst Hardcore Stories would be a great episode. I love it. That's a great idea. Yeah, we're really... I would like to just add in here that everyone from our chat room is thanking you for your time, Mr. Cole. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed, enjoyed you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me into the chat room and, I, and just, you know, follow me on Facebook or whatever. I just interact with everybody and I've got new books coming out all the time. Yeah, that's that's right. Where uh, where can people find you? Um, uh, what's, Like your Twitter and stuff. My Twitter is at Nick Cole Books and the... Um, Twitter icon that I've had forever since I made the account is the greatest Fallout Boy ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, I think the gunslinger. I think the gunslinger perk from New Vegas. I think is the icon. Mm-hmm. Is it that one or the over over prepared? Uh, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. The over prepared where he has he has a knife in his teeth, a pistol, dynamite, and a shotgun on his back. That's right. I can't remember which one it is, but it is one of the perk icons. I remember. I noticed that and I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I've always had that. Uh, so at Nick Cole Books on Twitter or. Nick Cole Books on Facebook or NickColeBooks.com is my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk soon. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye. Thanks. All right. Well, that wraps up our interview with Nick Cole. I hope you guys enjoyed that. We certainly did. Um, and we just want to say again, check out all of his books. I know Control Out uh, Revolt is is. It's awesome. Obviously, it's my favorite at this and point because I've only read one. <laughs> I really highly recommend his other work, too. I've been uh, reading him for a long time. The Old Man in the Wasteland and the sequels to that, The Savage Boy and The Road is a River, all really among my favorite books. The Red King and The Dark Knight, really good. I loved all those books. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, so we have a couple that we're, we're wrapping up, but we have announcement. Next week will not be live. Um, it's actually my anniversary weekend, so we're going to bank a live stream show or bank a live stream. Yeah, we're going to bank a show, and that'll be on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, 
probably around seven o'clock or so, but that we won't be live at, at uh, on YouTube next week. So if you have any questions, you can tweet at us at Fallout OTR. You can tweet at me at Rick McVick, and you can tweet at Shaleen at Shaleen L. You can also email us at falloutotr at gmail.com. Like this video and leave a comment. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. It makes us feel good inside when you do that. You can also find our show on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a review as well. We enjoy reading those as long as they're three stars and above. Although we, frankly, I enjoy the bad ones because they're funny. Um, so you, so we I have, don't. They get under my skin. I'm, I'm very <laughs> thin-skinned. Shaleen, they're always, always negative about me. I'm they're, very sensitive to the one-star reviews. But they're never negative against you, like the last one they we are, had. They are. The they last, are sometimes negative against me, Rick. I don't know, because the last one you was like... You get it like, more than me. You yes. get it more than me, but... Because everyone was like, Shaleen is, you know, you know, or the last one was like, Shaleen's awesome, but Rick, ugh. And that was pretty much yeah. the gist of it, but it was Those funny. Those make me mad, though. Like, ah. They don't understand, like... You're my friend. I don't want people talking about my friend. <laughs> it's just funny. They just don't understand the show. Anyways, like us in the uh, chat room. If you does. don't like the show, please refrain from leaving a review. <laughs> well, we have a few five star shout outs this week. Uh, S underscore W underscore G, which is Mr. G. Thank you for shouting us out. Brax Wolf, CR Dog 19, Ricky from Canada, not me, and Fordello 1990 from Australia. Thank you guys so much for leaving us five star reviews. Uh, we record live Friday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard on YouTube.com slash Network slash live, but not next week. You can also check out other great QG and shows streaming live on YouTube, like Outer Scrolls Off the Record, Classic Outer Scrolls, Dragon Age Off the Record, Warcraft Off the Record, and Dancing with Daggers, which comes on later this evening on Twitch.com slash Network. Thank you so much for listening, and Shaleen, what are, the, what are your last words? I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman.